Hello and welcome to another episode of Iodelli Speaks. I'm Iodelli Harrison, husband, father of two, senior partner of education with Community Bill Ventures, over 20 years teaching and leading in public, private, and international schools. So today you saw the title. It's uh, Access Doesn't Mean or Equal Equity. And where this, this came up, <clears throat> so just the other day, actually last night, I was watching um, a local school board meeting and they were talking about the reopening of schools next year, right, for the 20, for the 21-22 school year. And they're really excited about uh, being full face-to-face, um, but then offering a, and they were excited about that, and I'm glad that the district has found it safe enough to be able to work in that way. <clears throat> But then, uh, and they're also offering a fully virtual learning space um, for uh, kindergartner through high school and different variations of that. So you can opt into that and take that as a full semester, right? So you have to opt in to the full semester. If not, you're defaulted in the to face-to-face instruction. Some really great things that they're offering is that with, if you do go with the virtual learning, um, virtual school that the district is offering, you can still stay, uh, you can still participate in school activities at your home school or your district, your zone school. So if that's uh, sports, art, uh, debate club, whatever that might be, so you can can not go face-to-face, be fully enrolled in the district's virtual school, but you can still participate in the other extra crickets. And I thought that that was really, really cool, right? And then one of the board members asked, because uh, this was at a yeah, board meeting, one of the board members from the district asked, okay, so um, if a child's school, right, they choose to go face-to-face, and a child's, let's say, high school doesn't offer a particular AP course, can they take it, you know, that one AP course online? via the virtual learning academy and i thought that was a really good question and the answer from the district was yes they can yes they can and and people were really excited about that folks in the chat were excited about that and one of the board members that commented something like that's equity in action or something like that and you know as we as we move towards equity uh, th- this is helping us in that space. And so that didn't quite sit with me for a moment because I heard that and, 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 and I might have to go back to the recording to find the exact words, but it, it just didn't sit with me because I was thinking, because the thing is, I think it's, it's great. Access is ex- exceptional. If a school doesn't have a course that a child and a family want their child to participate in, then they should be able to access that course anywhere. Now that to me aligned more with equality, right? It's the opportunity. It's like, I, I want to have the same opportunity. So no matter where I happen to be born or my parents happen to have, have take a residence or guardians or caretakers take a residence, I have access to the learning, the courses that I want to take. And to me right away, I was like, that's on the pathway to equitable schools, but that's not equitable because there, there, there's something missing because equ- equitable to me is about, well, one, an equitable learning space 
is a space where a child can, excuse me, a child's skin, when I talk about racial equity in education, a child's skin color does not predict their outcomes in a statistical sense. So if I'm thinking statistically at a specific school, white kids in rural Georgia will on average, or 75% of them are not, excuse me, let's say 25% of them are reading on grade level, right? And so what that means is that one out of every four white children in that county are reading on grade level. That's a, that there's, there's, so there's some predictability. So to statistically speaking, that white child is, we can predict the likelihood of their outcome based upon their skin color. And so equitable schools, when we move to educational equity, it's about removing barriers. And sometimes people think that barrier is access, but it's got to go a bit further. And I was actually taking notes on this because, you know, the thing about it is I really like to to lean on uh, folks who who know better, who've done this research, who've been there. And so I was actually reading this article that was written. It was a conversation by Zaretta Hammond. Right. And she said that instructional or educational equity is reducing the predictability of who succeeds and who fails interrupting reproductive practices that negatively impact students and cultivating the gifts and talents of every student. And so those are the three components to educational equity. And so that reducing the predictability. So when that course is now being offered with AP, right? But we're not addressing or interrupting the reproductive practices that lead to negative impacts for our students. So now a child, let's say, can take AP calculus because it's now available, but do we have the support systems, the structures, the teaching practices, the pedagogy, all of those things to be able to support their success, to remove those barriers, to make sure that their gifts and talents are being cultivated. And so, One thing you could say here is that by allowing access to a certain course, AP Calculus, Drama, Art, uh, Culinary Arts, whatever that might be, I feel like that hits on this potentially the third thing of what Zaretta Hammond said was cultivating the gifts and talents of every student. So it's it's given a chance to to cultivate, right? To explore a gift and a talent a child might have in math or whatnot, in the arts. But if we're not addressing these other things, reducing the predictability of who succeeds and who fails. So now that you've let a child get access to the class, are we reducing their predictability of failing? Are we increasing their chances of success? 
How do we do that? What other structures are we putting in place? What other structures are we putting in place to, to ensure, to create the conditions, right? Because are they prepared? Are they getting the supportive tutoring? Are they getting one-on-one -on -one support? Are there pedagogical practices? I'm repeating myself. But what's there to support them in that way? To know how to manage a load of an AP course. Because there's one thing to sign up for an AP course, and I'm, I keep going back to this, but this is the, these aren't the only courses that we should be able to access. But we know that they're taught at a much different pace. They have a different set of content, speed in which they go, the amount of content, a lot of independent study that's involved because many times the way schools are set up there's just not a there's just not amount of time to teach all the material to cover it in a very thorough way for an AP course during the actual course hours. So there's a lot of independent work and I would say downright tutoring, independent tutoring that happens because the teacher has to cover a certain amount and either move quickly to cover it all or move a little slower to go more in depth, but you still got to cover all the material because you're responsible for all the content that's there. So what other support systems are in place for that? And so the other piece that Zaretta Hammond talks about is this. She also said like with culturally responsive education, right? It's about improving the learning capacity of diverse students who have been marginalized educationally. So we also, and that comes by the going back ties into the interrupting reproductive practices that negatively impact students. So we're trying to figure out how do we build capacity for learning? How do we build, how do we help them become better learners in the process? That's what he talked about with culturally responsive education. And now people are saying culturally sustaining education or pedagogy. How do we help them become better thinkers? Because to excel, I keep going back to the AP class, it is about one, your, and Loretta, Loretta Hammond talks about this, is, 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 is about your uh, critical load, content load, right? What does she say? Oh my gosh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't write that down. But it's, it's about increasing their, their load, their ability to, the, to, to carry more, to chunk faster, better study techniques, uh, 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 more perseverance, right? Having a study routine, um, how to, you know, annotate. All these other things have to be in place for the outcome to shift. So when that board member said this is equitable now, I would, my, my, my mind, and, and I, I want to give that board member the benefit of the doubt because I, I, I believe they alluded to it's on the pathway and it is on the pathway, but we cannot confuse access with equity. Access does not equal equity. Access moves us more towards equality. But even that ain't completely right because the way that, anyway, I'm, I'm not gonna go down that pathway, but it's, <coughs> it's really seeing how are we support, how are we creating access and equitable conditions.
how are we, as Zaretta Hammond says, reducing the, we want to reduce the predictability of who succeeds and who fails. Because yes, you can open up an AP class and allow all students to, to take it, but are we ensuring that we're supporting them? Is it predictable that who's gonna get a five and who's not gonna get a five, right? Does your social economic status determine that? Does your race determine that? Does your ability determine that? Does your gender determine that? And so we have to start putting it, reducing practices, interrupting them, excuse me, interrupting reproductive practices that negatively impact students. So there's a more fuller picture that's being painted and we have to really just be cautious when we use, when we say things are more equitable. Because I think many a times we gotta say, is it, are we moving close to equality on our way to equity or is it equitable? Because we have to make sure that we have this 360 degree support system that really positions us to reduce the predictability of who fails and who succeeds. And so with our work at Community Bill Ventures, what we, what we try and focus on is that I love our Equity Center School Improvement Tool. The reason why I, I really enjoy it is because it is not, it helps us understand the components, the indicators of equity. These, these pieces that build, that create the conditions for a more equitable learning environment. One is access. Our, who's offered, who's available to take honors classes, arts classes, all those other types of things, right? But we also gotta get into the nitty gritty and look at how instruction happens. So under our teaching and learning environment, when we do our assessment, we have five uh, uh, dimensions. And, I, and I'll link the, uh, the video where I, you know, I talk about all that. But what we're able to do is this. I, I was on a, just one, one quick side note. So I was on a, a conversation, a, a education collaborative meeting um, here in uh, Atlanta, it was virtual. And there was this woman who had brought up, there was a video that was shared um, of, the, of this uh, expert in the field. And what she was talking about is, um, is it possible, like not all high performing schools or quote unquote blue ribbon schools or A schools or top schools are, not everybody in the school is experiencing that level of innovation, that level of excellence. And so, so if you're a blue ribbon school, but you have, you are, but it is predictable who is succeeding and who's failing in that system. And we see maybe black children aren't succeeding, aren't benefiting from all that innovation and all that blue ribbonness then that's an indicator that there's room for improvement, there's room for increasing and improving educational equity in that space. And so our equity center, our, our equity assessment actually helps, not helps all schools. So especially those who are on the top tier and are saying, well, what are we doing? How do we quantify what we're doing well, right? Oh, well, we offer this, we offer that. Well, there's a lot of different factors that go into play. And so what our tool allows you to do is say, this is what we're doing well, this is what we're doing exceptional, and we're able to show you in the aggregate and the disaggregate how blue ribbon, how exceptional we are. 
So it really gives you a talk, it gives you a set of talking points to see where the success is coming from. Because then let's say it's one school, other schools in the district or, or in the partnership or in a learning community can learn and say, okay, these are some things we could take away. We can also find out in that process, is everyone receiving the full advantages of this, of this blue ribbon school? by looking at this. So it's not just so include so all schools have room for improvement. Whether they are moving from a middle level school, a B range school to an A school, if they're blue ribbon and they want to see, you know, here's the thing. Most exceptional athletes are always looking for they they have they have to manufacture things to improve upon and always be looking at, okay, I'm at 98%. How do I get another half a percent out of this? How do I know what I'm doing? Well, am I just guessing or do I really, really know what's happening? Do I really know my strengths? Are my strengths covering up some of the gaps because I'm aggregating all the data and all the information we have? Because the thing about it is I've worked at some schools and independent schools where there are, I mean, people have been familiar, there's schools within schools, right? So you have a school that has all the accoutrements. It's got the arts program. It's got the sports program. It's got the honors, AP track. Kids are going to exceptional schools, historically black college schools, private Ivy League schools, out west of some of the public schools out there for college. You're seeing all of that. But then you got to dig a little bit deeper and disaggregate that and say, well, who's actually experiencing that? What factors are contributing to that? Is it the fact that someone with a higher socioeconomic status is, is reaping all the benefits and that's where all the numbers are going and that's the larger? Is there a subgroup in there? Maybe those who have identified as, as having learning challenges that aren't being able to exercise all those amenities that are available. So it's important to figure out what you're doing to know, are you interrupting reproductive practices that lead, that negatively impact students? And that's all students, all subgroups of students, maybe genders, could be racial, it could be religious, you name it. So we have to, I'm gonna wrap this up because it's really important that we not get confused and we ask questions, we interrogate, are we increasing access? Is that access leading towards equality or equity? Because one way that access can lead to equity is this, is that let's say you do open up and allow all students to take an AP course, AP calculus. I'm a math teacher, so I keep floating back to that. So they're able to enroll. That now allows equality, right? They have an equal shot. They have equal opportunity to participate. Where access becomes equity is now I provide access to paid tutoring. I provide access to learning support for that student who's in that AP calculus class. It could be office hours that are offered by the teacher. It could be a learning center, like a, a set of learning specialists that you know have 
uh, a training center where kids can go and get tutoring or I'm giving access to maybe there's funded private tutoring. Or some sort of tutoring that through a partnership with a local foundation is providing those students. That's when we now are moving at when access is translating into equity. Because now what I'm trying to do is continue to remove barriers, remove barriers that then reduce the predictability of who succeeds and who doesn't. Because I don't want a child to enroll in a class and get and not have the supports and get rolled over. It's kind of like my work I do with, with, with new teachers, with novice teachers and providing them support. Man, you, you take a novice teacher and put them in a classroom with no support, the likelihood of them staying, well, hey, the statistics show, especially those, in, those working in schools that are in under-resourced communities are leaving at a high rate. Within the first three years, they're leaving, 40 to 60% are leaving. That's the turnover because of lack of support. So not only are they statistically in schools that are not performing at their best because of historical challenges, because of resource challenges, now there's not any, any support and now we got high teacher turnover. So we got young teachers who I believe can be exceptional in their first year, but if we look at statistics, that is darn right hard, especially if they don't have any support. So we're, we're, we're looking to not just have access or take access and look at it with, look at it in, is it equity or is it equality? And let's be very specific with our words when we're using that. So anyway, so that was just my thoughts in, in, in hearing this. And, and, and I, I talked to my wife about that and she got me all riled up. You know, we, we so pro-black, um, but we're also pro-racial equity. And looking at these things and making sure that we're very specific on what we're calling out and what we're calling in. Again, I want to celebrate the district for offering all of those classes. So virtually in the virtual academy, a kid could take a once off class can go face to face. If a class isn't offered at the school, then go virtual and take it with hopefully an exceptional teacher that's online. That is equality. Now we got to think about what type of support are we going to provide all kids in those spaces to make sure that they succeed. Because what I don't want a kid to do is enroll in a class and just get steamrolled. Steamrolled because they didn't have the proper support to be able to conditioning, practices, self-esteem, whatever that might be, to really persevere and succeed and be successful in that class. So anyway, that's all I have for you today. Uh, access does not equal equity all the time. And so, hey, you know, give me your thoughts. Are there other situations that you found in your district that have been couched as equity, but maybe are more about equality in terms of when someone's providing access? Leave a comment. And as always, like, subscribe, share. Every Thursday, dropping a podcast, Iodelli Speaks. Well, that's it for me right now. Wish you all the best. Take care.